It is Friday, August 25th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellens. Today, a 336-mile bicycle tour of Arkansas. Every year, the route will change. So this year, the inaugural route goes from Fayetteville to Jonesboro. Next year, it could go from Hot Springs to Helena. The Arkansas Graveler will start in Fayetteville and end in Jonesboro. Plus, the origins and uncertain future of national monuments. What makes them different from a park is that they're created in a different way. Uh, Under the authority of the Antiquities Act, presidents can designate national monuments without a vote. They can just issue a proclamation and create a new protected space. Mackenzie Long will discuss her book, This Contested Land, The Storied Past and Uncertain Future of America's National Monuments in Rogers and Fayetteville tomorrow. We have a preview today. And the Weekend Review with Michael Tilley, as well as the Weekend Ahead with Becca Martin-Brown. First, the news. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents Annie Leibovitz at Work. This exhibition includes the photographer's iconic pictures from Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Vogue, as well as new portraits made just for Crystal Bridges. Annie Leibovitz at Work opens September 16th. More at crystalbridges.org. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, kicks off its 69th season Saturday, September 23rd at Walton Arts Center. Performing under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, Sona musicians present Great Romantics, featuring Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story and Sergei Rachmaninoff's Symphony No. 2. Tickets and more at sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, August 25th, 2023 on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. We are a service, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. We're going to start Friday like we do most Fridays, and that's with Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, welcome back. Well, thank you. And once again, I'm... (laughs) Apologize to your listeners that they have to start out with me, but here we go. <laughs> well, we've got plenty to talk about, not the least of which is home sales in the River Valley. We've been watching this for a while. They've been setting records. What's the latest report tell us? Yeah, well, they won't be setting a record this yeah. year. Um, so, and, and look, that's not a surprise. We're seeing it all over, all over the country, but higher interest rates um, have pretty much put in in some places, just the supply have put a, a really slowed down the home sales. And Fort Smith Metro was no different. There were uh, between January and June, there were 1,641 homes sold in the Metro. Um, that's down a little over 16%. Um, the value of those homes sold was right around 350 million. That was down almost 18%. Um, so in the average home, now, uh, the average home price for the first half of the year was a little over 213000 That was also down from 217000 last year. So that not only shows you that the, the demand or the um, activity is coming down, but also the price point. People just aren't able, with the higher interest rates, aren't able to afford those higher price points or are holding off. Um, and it's also slowing the sales cycle. So the average days on the market um, in the first part of the year, first half of the year, 75, and that's well below the 66 uh, compared to last year. And you may not think that there's a big difference between 75 and 66, but if you've ever (laughs) tried to buy or sell a home, every day is just, you know, a crunch day. Um, 
you know, because you everything keys on that. Okay, that's when we can move. That's when we can start, you know, bringing in the cleaners, the movers. I mean, everything keys on that. So um, that's that's interesting. Um, and now Sebastian and Crawford County, of course, those are the two biggest uh, counties in terms of sales in that region. Uh, home sales in Sebastian County were down. They totaled for the first half of the year was 719. That's down almost 20% from the same time last year. Um, and the value of the home sold was 161 million. That's down 16.3%. Oh. Crawford County home sales were down 14 and percent. And the home sales value, um, was down, um, was also down, it was down close to, uh, 15%. It was from 69 million this year compared to 81 million, almost 82 million last year. So, um, and look what we're hearing not a you don't have to be an expert it's just higher sale um, interest rates are keeping people from for example i'm an example of that my wife and i are we are getting near the end of our mortgage on our house and we've thought about buying another place well we're not going to leave <laughs> right. uh, you know a house that we have no mortgage on and jump into something that's going to have six and a half seven percent interest on so um, you know, we're we're just going to sit tight for a while until the market decides to figure out where it's going to go. And of course, that just has ripple line. effects all the way down yeah, the line. Exactly. I'm just so so. We hear that from some realtors that the demand is not there. There are people that normally would have said, "Yeah, I'm going to sell this house, and my interest rate may go from three percent to three and a half percent, but that's no big deal. That's not the deal killer." Well, when it goes from three percent to seven percent. Whoops, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to set tight for a while, kind of thing. So that takes that takes homes off the market. Not sitting tight, or maybe sitting tight for a while, is the Deer Trails Golf Course. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, it's golf, but it's also a little bit of a tug of war. What's the latest about this? Yeah, this is an interesting. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting negotiation. So the Deer Trails Golf Course, it's. Uh, other than the Ben Garen golf course uh, run by the county, it's the only public golf course in the area, um, and it's it's pretty popular. It's on it's on in the Chaffee Crossing area. It used to be the officers' club when when you know Camp Chaffee and Fort Chaffee were a much bigger army base, but uh, it's pretty popular, and it's it's um, become an amenity um, of some value to housing out there to home developers um, who have told us that they've been told by banks that they're going to hold off on construction loans until they know the future of this golf course. So for some weird reason, (laughs) the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, which controls the property, has put it up for sale, but they say, well, we're not marketing it. It's just a procedural thing. Well, that's got everybody nervous. And they asked the city of Fort Smith to step in. The city has. They initially offered them a conveyance agreement that they would keep at a golf course for 40 years. Long story short, the FCRA board met and balked at that, even though they said they wanted that some kind of assurance. So they said they wanted something more of an ironclad agreement, but they, they wanted, instead of 40 years, they wanted 50 years. I guess those 10 years matter. Hmm. So the Fortunate Board of Directors this week said, okay, great. We'll, add, we'll change from 40 to 50, and we'll make the 
agreement, a little more ironclad. So city administrator Carl Gefkin is working on that. He'll get that back to the FCRA, and we'll see if they bounce it back to him. It's it's kind of one of those things where, you know, Kyle, you told me you wanted – if I wanted, or if, if, if I said I wanted $10 for – <laughs> this widget you said okay i'll give you 10 and i was like oh no wait a minute i, w- I want 11 so it's like okay well just make up your mind we'll, we'll do we'll do whatever you want just make up your just mind just let me know <laughs> yes yes so that's where we are but it's um i know some people say well it's just a golf course and that it's kind of true but it's got a lot tied to it there's some obviously some development issues tied to it i think there's some political undercurrents between the fcra and the city mm. um that's kind of been revealed uh, with this process. So we're going to stay tuned. All right. Uh, Fort Smith's downtown ambassadors program, fully ready to go staffed to, to capacity. What does this mean? Yeah. Just a quick note. Um, I've been watching this CBID 15, 20 years, and they've been talking about this for a long time. And it's, it's kind of like it's here. Holy cow. They really did it. Kind of a thing. <laughs> and, um, so it's both exciting and just like the golf course, it bears watching. Um, you know, the CBID, the Central Business Improvement, Central Improvement Business District, or Central Business Improvement District, let me get that correct. Um, <laughs> some may wonder how long I've been watching it. Um, <laughs> just uh, last year voted in an assessment, a tax assessment on themselves. Um, and so it's given them this year to a roughly $250,000 budget. And what they're doing, they're paying police officers um, and, and folks affiliated with the police department. It's, it's kind of an ambassador program. It's really to try to help keep um, the homeless, try to help monitor the homeless situation. There's more. There are more people living downtown and sometimes walking out of your apartment downtown and there's a homeless person sleeping next to your dumpster or on your back patio is a little you know, unsettling. So they're trying to help with that. There's also a clean and green program where the city will, or the CBID will pay others, possibly the city to do more to keep, you know, um, just downtown looking good. Um, um, keep the, the sidewalks up to, you know, trim the trees to plant flowers, those kind of things. And so again, this has been talked about for a long time. It's just started. Um, kudos to those CBID members who, who pushed this through and the force of board of directors for, uh, you know, approving it and going along with it. So we're going to watch it. I mean, it's a good program. All the intentions are good. So Kyle, this is just one of those things where now we have to, now we have to watch the execution, right? Uh, it's a good plan, but is it going to be executed well? And I have no reason to think it won't be, but um, we're just, we're going to, we're excited about it. We're excited to report on it and hopefully it will be executed well. And I imagine that folks connected with the Fort Smith A&P are excited that it appears they're headed into the final stages of hiring a new director. Yep. Um, they have three candidates, a um, person from Tulsa, uh, someone from Plainview, Arkansas, and a person from Maumelle. They're going to interview them this week. They're, I think, wrapping up interviews today. Uh, and then we've been told that they will send an offer letter out to the to the their final, their, their candidate of choice on August 28th. So uh, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Um, the position uh, was open since March with Tim Jacobson left just kind of suddenly. 
Uh, Lynn Wasson, uh, she's been the interim since then. Um, but she was not one of the finalists, which I thought was somewhat of a surprise. But we'll see. They're conducting those interviews. But that's an important post. I know it gets, you know, the CNV, C, uh, CVB directors or A&P directors, depending on what the city is. Sometimes I get overlooked in terms of, you know, they're not the mayor, they're not the chamber guy or whatever. But I think they're pretty. that's a pretty important post, especially if, for a city like Fort Smith, where you have a lot of good tourism assets and a region that has a lot of good tourism assets, for someone to be in that role aggressively and um, smartly uh, promoting those assets. And when that formal announcement is made, you'll be able to find all the news about it at talkbusiness.net. Information about everything we talked about and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, we'll talk next week. All right. Thank you, sir. The Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's, continues Friday, September 1st with Daz and Brie. This Emmy-nominated rock and soul woman-fronted duo from Little Rock combines acid rock instrumentation with operatic and theatrical elements. The Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series leads up to an all-day celebration of KUAF's 50 years on the air to wrap up the series. For more, KUAF.com forward slash summer concerts. In just a few minutes on our show, there are man-made national monuments like the Statue of Liberty, but many national monuments are protected natural areas, just not national parks. What makes them different from a park is that they're created in a different way. Uh, Under the authority of the Antiquities Act, presidents can designate national monuments without a vote. They can just issue a proclamation and create a new protected space where national parks are created by Congress through a vote. But national monument designation and review can be controversial. Mackenzie Scott has written about visiting many of the national monuments in her book, This Contested Land, the storied past and uncertain future of America's national monuments. And she'll be in both Rogers and Fayetteville tomorrow to discuss the book. And she talks with us in about five minutes. Angie Kim didn't know English when she and her family first moved to the U.S. from Korea. Even just that limited, temporary inability to speak traumatized me. And it later moved her to create characters who can't speak, but still have much to tell. Like the teenager in her novel, Happiness Falls, Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon tomorrow morning from 7 until 9 on KUAF. The Arkansas Department of Health is investigating an outbreak of E. coli among University of Arkansas students. A statement from the university says campus officials are aware of a few hospitalizations related to the outbreak, and the university is working closely with public health officials to help identify the source. It's believed the outbreak started more than a week ago. Talk Business and Politics reports Highland Oncology is expanding with a purchase of almost 51 acres in Rogers. Talk Business reports Highland's paid $13.6 million for approximately 51 acres along southbound Interstate 49 in Rogers. The land is along South Bellevue Road east of the district at Pinnacle Hills. Theater Squared's new executive director is Shannon Jones. Jones has been with T2 for almost 10 years, most recently as general manager. She'll replace Martin Miller, who has accepted a leadership role at McCarter Theater Center in Princeton, New Jersey. One of the Little Rock Nine students who integrated Little Rock Central says she's proud the Little Rock School District is continuing to offer AP African American Studies. Elizabeth Eckford spoke at the beginning of last night's meeting of the Little Rock School Board.
The course code for AP African American Studies was removed by the Arkansas Department of Education, meaning students can't get college credit for taking it. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders and spokespeople for the department say they plan to scan the curriculum for what they say could be indoctrination. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences is receiving its largest gift in history, the gift from the estate of E. Lee Ronald to create the Ronald Family Endowed Chancellor Scholarship in the UAMS College of Medicine will create the first four-year full-ride scholarship in the 150-year history of the College of Medicine. The scholarship will cover tuition, fees, housing, and meals for the duration of medical school. Recipients of the scholarship will be known as Ronald Scholars. At the request of the family, the amount of the gift was not disclosed. The Ozark Natural Science Center in Huntsville will host a wilderness first aid and CPR training course this weekend. Instructor Tom Burroughs will lead the weekend-long session. Participants will walk away with backcountry medical care skills, a three-year wilderness first aid certification, and a two-year CPR certification. Science Center Director Rose Brown says they try to host the course at the center because her staff is required to undergo the training. However, the course still holds value for the local community. We get people coming in who are kayakers or work for other nonprofits or just community members who like to be out outdoors a lot and want to have the skills. The course is already full this weekend, but Brown says the course will return for those who missed it this time. Friends of the Arkansas Single Track, or FAST, will host the Kohler Roller Mountain Bike Party and Camp Out this weekend. The event begins today and goes through Saturday at the Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve Campgrounds in Bentonville. Different races, such as an enduro race and an e-bike race, will be held on Saturday. FAST members will receive free admission. The general public must pay $20 for entry. Camping and food will be provided at no additional charge. This is Ozarks at Large. There are 133 national monuments in the United States. Some are man-made, but many are protected natural areas like Bears Ears in southern Utah. Bears Ears was established by President Obama as a national monument in 2016. A year later, President Trump ordered a review to possibly reduce the amount of territory protected, though President Biden later restored the original boundaries. The tug-of-war over Bears Ears highlights what can be a confusing realm of protected lands. Mackenzie Long writes about this in her book, This Contested Land, The Storied Past and Uncertain Future of America's National Monuments. She'll discuss the book and sign copies tomorrow at the Wild Birds Unlimited stores in Rogers and Fayetteville. She'll be in Rogers at noon, and she'll be at the Fayetteville store at 2. We talked earlier this week by Zoom. Mackenzie says she was actually in Bears Ears when news broke that President Trump wanted to reduce the size of the monument. I was camping in Bears Ears National Monument with my sister. Um, And I think, I'm trying to remember if I knew there was something coming. I don't think I did. I think I was just interested in Bears Ears because it had just been created not that long ago. And 
um, I had gone back to just um, see more of it because I had only seen a very tiny part. And so, yeah, I was in Bears Ears when I learned about the review. And I had one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, I'm interested in this. And it's actually important. I think so. I think this is worth knowing more about. <laughs> Bears Ears is a monument. I think so many of us, when we hear the word monument, we think of a single object, whether it's man-made like the Washington Monument or perhaps, you know, a formation that might be in the American West. But for this context, what does National Monument, what could it mean? Well, National Monument can be a statue, like the Statue of Liberty is a statue, or I mean, Statue of Liberty is a National Monument. But um, the ones that I'm talking about in this book are natural areas that are very similar to national parks. Um, They especially the ones I'm talking about are big. They tend to be big, uh, the ones recently designated. Um, They have a lot of park qualities, park-like qualities like natural beauty and um, fragile ecosystems and things that deserve protection. Um, What makes them different from a park is that they're created in a different way. Uh, Under the authority of the Antiquities Act, presidents can designate national monuments without a vote. They can just issue a proclamation and create a new protected space where national parks are created by Congress through a vote. And so in order to reach a vote in Congress, we all know it takes a little while. There's often compromises that take place and it can also take a really long time to get everyone on board to to create that. And so national monuments, they can be created fast because you don't need to come to consensus. And um, they're also created to protect something uh, a little bit specific. So when one is created, presidents will issue a proclamation and it lists the things in there that they're trying to protect. And that can be a wide range of things. It can be um, a cultural cultural element, like a a dwelling or a petroglyph site. It can be, um, they can be created to protect biodiversity, to protect migration corridors for animals, um, endangered habitat for endangered animals. Um, So there's all sorts of things that they can be created to protect. And more modern ones, like um, President Biden just created one earlier this month outside the Grand Canyon. And that one, I think, is specifically created to, um, to honor some of the indigenous tribes that have connections to that place. And they were hoping to protect that land. And so he was able to create a monument specifically because it was important to them to protect. We know about the one you just mentioned that President Biden uh, designated. We know that President Trump initiated this review of several. We know that President Obama designated several. But this goes back to Franklin Roosevelt. He was the first president to, uh, de- to designate a national monument, wasn't he? Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. The- Theodore, <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yes, it goes even <laughs> further back. Yes, Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, the Antiquities Act became a law in 1906. And so and then Theodore Roosevelt uh, created the very first national monument, which was Devil's Tower in Wyoming. And in that same year. So it goes back a long time. And the the interesting thing is they they've changed over time how how the monuments that are created look in the beginning when Theodore Roosevelt was designating monuments. They were very small with boundaries drawn right around the the um, thing to protect. So Devil's Tower, it was just like 
a little tiny box right around Devil's Tower itself saying this is a monument. And now I think partly because scientific understanding has grown, they've gotten bigger and bigger. And so now sometimes they're trying to protect full landscapes and full ecosystems because it's hard to protect a watershed if you only are protecting a very small part of it. So sometimes there's um, a lot bigger spaces now. As you mentioned, national parks are created generally have to be hammered out through some amount of consensus. National Mm -hmm. monuments, not necessarily, which can mean they can be controversial and it can raise the specter, I suppose, for some people in those states that it is land that is being taken off the table for possible what? I know Bears Ear, some people thought, could yield coal or other substantive um, elements underground. Yeah, I think, yeah, Bears Ears, there was maybe the potential for some uranium mines around there. Um, Grand Staircase Escalante, which is also in Utah, is actually um, sits on top of the largest untapped coal field in the country. So um, typically when a monument is created, existing mining rights and grazing rights and water rights remain, but they often will not allow new um, mining leases to happen on the land. And so... Yeah, Utah is the prime example of this. When Grand Staircase Escalante was designated by Bill Clinton in 1996 and when Bears Ears was designated in 2016 by Obama, um, a lot of Utah politicians were angry because they felt like the monuments were now restricting the economic development that could happen in their state. Um, And that's a, a fair view, I think, that it does seem like the federal government's coming in and telling people that live there what to do with their own land. Um, and so that's how it often creates controversy. Though, But though, even though a president can just unilaterally designate a monument, often I think it only happens after a lot of grassroots uh, advocacy for these places. There's usually many very passionate locals and groups that really want to protect these places and find them to be very special and they're the ones champion, championing the National Monument designation. You mentioned that a designation, a National Monument designation can protect landscape, terrain, watersheds. You also write it can protect stories. What do you mean by that? Well, um, the national park system in our country also often tells history. There's an interpretive element where you're, we're trying to explain what happened um, in the past. That's why we have national battlefields and things where we commemorate um, war that happened, civil war, things like that. Um, and so national monuments, they they don't have quite the same interpretive element as national parks, but um, I think it's very important to recognize the history in a lot of these places. And like I said, with the, the new Grand Canyon National Monument, the reason that was designated is because of the history, the human history on that land, and that there's numerous indigenous tribes that still they have a history there, but they also have present day connections to that land. And so when we create monuments um, that have cultural value, we're also protecting those stories and protecting um, the reasons why those places are important to certain people. Um, Another new monument that Biden created is Kastner Range outside of El Paso. And um, I believe that the the Hispanic community around there had been trying to get that designated for, I believe, around 50 years. They'd been really wanting that to be a place for them and their community and what 
what that land means to them. And so that's one thing I find really exciting about national monuments is that we can use them today to protect things that our society today finds important, which is often the stories and including different people in in the wild places in our country. If a president can designate a national monument and then a subsequent president can ask for a review, what what is the status at any time of a national monument? Can it be revoked? Well, that's a really good question. I think that that's a little bit up in the air um, because when Trump initiated the review of national monuments, he then modified three monuments. He he shrank two of them in Utah, Bears Ears and Grand Staircase, and he also removed some restrictions from a marine monument in the Atlantic. Um, and when he did that, I think there were a lot of legal scholars that were like, wait, can he do that? Can a president alter what a previous president did? Because normally in our government, to change something a president had a previous president had done, Congress is the authority to do that. So definitely the work of a president can be changed, but usually we need Congress to agree that it needs to be changed. And one president can't just write off what another one did. Um, so there's been a lot of lawsuits filed. And when Biden took office, uh, I think he requested a, a stay of some of the lawsuits and just to see what he wanted to do. He ended up reinstating the the three monuments that Trump revised. So he brought them back to their original state. And um, and then I think the state of Utah filed another lawsuit saying that Biden couldn't do that. Um, and that lawsuit, the latest news on that is that it was dismissed. So I think that the courts decided that what Biden did was legal. But I'm not sure if the answer of what Trump did, I don't think that that's fully been answered. So I think there's still some gray area. And um, that's why it's a little bit interesting, because um, some of these things we're still trying to decide how they work. Mackenzie Scott will discuss her book, This Contested Land, The Storied Past and Uncertain Future of America's National Monuments, tomorrow at noon. The Wild Birds Unlimited store in Rogers, then at 2 o'clock at the Wild Birds Unlimited store in Fayetteville. We spoke this week via Zoom, and we'll hear more from that conversation because there is more on our Labor Day edition of Ozarks at Large. And still to come on this show, Arkansas's Outdoors will be on display for the inaugural Arkansas Graveler Bicycle Tour that will go from Fayetteville to Jonesboro. We'll learn more in about 15 minutes. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review here on KUAF Public Radio. I'm Pete Hartman. Buffalo National River Partners, or BNRP, is the official friends group of the nation's first national river. Monday, I spoke with Melinda Caldwell, board member with BNRP, as they are needing the community's help with a stilt grass pool planned for Lost Valley in early September. You know, unfortunately, it's really invaded not just our park, but our urban areas as well. So I would imagine you have run across it. We have some incredible links on our calendar event page for this that folks can go to and be able to identify stilt grass. Yes, it it did. It was accidentally used as packaging material for porcelains, and it has made a march across the country. It's uh, easy to pull weed. Um, Unfortunately, each wisp of a plant can generate a thousand seeds, and those seeds are viable for up to four years. Um, The problem with Japanese stilt grasses 
batches. So it chokes out opportunities for any other plants or seeds to emerge. The reason we focus on the Lost Valley area is it has a prolific amount of very diverse wildflowers. And um, it's an opportunity for a lot of our visitors to be able to see those. Melinda Cardwell with BNRP. She says you'll need long pants, sleeves, gloves. To find out more and to sign up, bnrpartners.org. Lakeisha Edwards is executive director of Art Ventures in Fayetteville. This nonprofit is dedicated to local artist representation, art education, and community collaborations, and has recently began a program with the Washington County JV Court. Lakeisha joined me Tuesday in the Nancy Blair Operation Studio. I'm always looking at a more holistic approach to what we do for the community. And in this particular space, we want to give these youth an opportunity to express themselves and be creative and actually be told, good job. A lot of them are involved with the court because they've done something that people are consistently chastising them for or something that they're consistently um, dealing with. So it may be drug abuse, it may be um, truancy, it may be delinquency of some other sort, but But we want to make sure that they have a safe space where they can not only be creative, but also be applauded for that creativity. Mm -hmm. We had some of the kids say, you know, I don't know what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. But then we go through the art workshop and we talk about some of the aspects of art. We go through some of the technical spaces um, in regards to art. And then we actually allow them to create on their own. So then when they go back into that art space, now they're more comfortable. Now they are armed with more education in regards to the art. Lakeisha Edwards with Art Ventures. You can find out more of their community outreach endeavors at artventuresnwa.org. 9-11 National Day of Service is approaching. This day has become known as a day to get out there and help someone or a local group any way you can. This week, we spoke with Julie Sallings of Just Serve, a nonprofit working to match volunteers to the needs of our community. And she gave us three different options in this area. The Family Network works with young families that are parenting, and they help these families learn about, like, emotional growth. They've got these classes called Fatherhood Fire Tuesday nights, and it's at the Jones Center. They just need one volunteer, and this person will help kind of set up, clean up. They'll just be there for about two and a half hours, taking roll, handing out some pamphlets. It's a really cool way to help, and it's just one person needed each week. Uh, something coming up September 9th, kind of maybe a little bigger project, uh, the Sleep in Heavenly Peace bed build. But this one is needing 400 volunteers? 400. So I just, I want to spread this as far and wide as possible. Even teens can help with this one. They will be putting together 200 beds. And they bring these around to kids that need them all over Northwest Arkansas. This one's kind of all over the region. It's a kit drive with Canopy NWA. Canopy is inviting people to put together kits for new refugee neighbors that they're sponsoring that are settling here and setting up house. One where you can gather items on your own and there's a list of the types of kits that are needed from bedding, which I think is one of the biggest needs right now, to like a personal care kit, a bathroom kit, And uh, they will have some special drop-off locations, or it can be dropped off at Canopy. Tea, a notepad, a pen, things that just, you know, kind of make your home function once the foundation is set up. 
Julie Sallings with Just Serve. There are many, many more opportunities to help serve your community. You can find them all at justserve.org. We'll end this week in review with a fun discussion with Sam Richards, a member of the board of the Northwest Arkansas Children's Shelter. He also works with PepsiCo. They're signing up teams now to participate in an event called Kickball for Kids coming up September 22nd. The Northwest Arkansas Children's Shelter serves children who have suffered the trauma of abuse, abandonment, neglect, and trafficking. So we've, we've been in existence for 30 years, and, and, and that's what we strive to do, to, to be a safe haven and to provide resources for those that, that need, it, need it the most. I know you're looking for teams. What's this day going to be like? This day is going to be full of fun, team building, networking, and just genuine time invested to, one, raise funds, but also to just have a good time, right? We pick kickball specifically. When you think of kickball, mm-hmm. many adults probably think back, hey, when was the first time or last time that I played kickball? <laughs> but this day, it starts in the morning okay. around 7 a.m. at Memorial Park. Teams are able to come out and be formed. If you don't have a team, we can link you up with the team. But it's all about team building with a competitive edge. Or if you just want to come out and play in a non-competitive fashion, there's, there's room for that as well, but the entire day is going to be devoted to awareness and, and really just spending time with the community, whether it's colleagues or whether it be friends and family. For information on Kickball for Kids, you can go to the website nwacs.org. Again, that's to benefit the Northwest Arkansas Children's Shelter. Some of the voices you've heard this week during the Community Spotlight here on KUAF. Listen weekday mornings, 631 and 831, or at 8.04 Saturday and Sunday. You can also find past episodes at our website, KUAF.com. Just click on the Community tab at the top of the screen. We'll hear from more voices making a difference in our communities next week during the Community Spotlight. Your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellens with me on the phone from her office in Bella Vista, the arts and entertainment editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Becca Martin-Brown. Becca, welcome back. Uh, do you, I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but I know what a bunch of people are doing this weekend. They're going to the Fort Smith International Film Festival. It's happening today and tomorrow. 148 films spread across two days. The fun part, I think, about tonight is that it's the local film makers showcase. So it's Mark Crandall's Banana Triangle 6, Jason Pitts, who's from Alma When the Stairs Creek, this is a, kind of a spooky film, right? Yeah. Daniel Wingfield from Sherwood, whose film was called Low Lives. It's about Little Rock when the murder rate was one of the highest in the nation. Right. And Christopher Corsi's The River Woe. He's from Tahlequah, and it is a Native American film about a man who gets laid off and has to go fishing to provide food for his family. Tonight also includes the big speakers of the festival, Keith Craig and Jeff Porter, who are Porter and Craig Film and Media Distribution from Beverly Hills, who have promised that they will find a distribution deal for five films at this year's festival. That's huge. Tickets are $20 day of, or there's still a $100 VIP pass available, I think, that includes the VIP suite and all of that. And it's fortsmithfilm.com. And I would remind you, except you're already in love with her, 
that there's a performance tonight by a violinist named Natasha Korsakova. She's just wonderful. She came to the Furman Garner Performance Studio on Tuesday, uh, played for us. We just had a pleasant visit. She's performing at Butterfield Trail Village tonight at 7 o'clock in their performance hall. And then she's performing tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at First Presbyterian Church in Fort Smith in a performance sponsored by UFIS. $20 tonight, free in Fort Smith. And if you need tickets tonight, email R stamps, R-S-T-A-M-P-S, at btvillage.org. Tomorrow night, the Theater Collective of Northwest Arkansas, which kind of gave birth to itself earlier this year, is already on this is second production or third, second production, I think. And it's doing something called the Miscast Cabaret. And again, this means that, I'm, why, why should I try? You, you know what it means. You tell us. The quickest way to translate it is one of the performances is going to be the cell block tango, but it's men. Miscast as in things that you would normally not get to do within your repertoire. Exactly. And it's two performances only, mm. 7 o'clock tomorrow night, 2 o'clock Sunday at the Medium at 214 South Main Street in Springdale. And tickets are $20 at theatercollectivenwa.org. And if you have a teenager who wants to do something truly unique, I think I can use unique correctly. Teenagers 13 through 19 are invited to sign up for a teen photography mentorship called Beyond the Lens. Right. To Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. Right. With Annie Leibovitz. This isn't like with, um, you know, in conjunction with the exhibit only. This is with her. Right. Yes. Okay. You will meet with the teens. My God. And they will have other local photographers as mentors. And then she'll be back to see what the kids have done. <sighs> and then there will be an exhibit of what the kids have done. Her exhibit that opens September 16th at Crystal Bridges will have a set of new works commissioned yeah. by Crystal Bridges, yeah. which are her first museum commission. Right. And there's no cost for kids to do this. <laughs> they don't have to have any kind of spatial equipment. Mm. All they have to do is sign up by 5 p.m. September 15th, go to crystalbridges.org and look for Teen Photography Mentor Program. And if you're looking for a fun thing to do with the family, mm-hmm. the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks in Fayetteville is sponsoring the Scarecrow Showdown. I know that you have until August 31st to register, and you can find out more at bgozarks.org. It's a $25 entry fee for amateurs, $50 for professionals, $100 for nonprofit vi- businesses, and then they'll be on exhibit all through the month of October. And then if you're still not busy enough... <laughs> Right. Let me fling another thing or two at you. Dial M for Murder is still on at Theater Squared this weekend through September 10th. If you haven't heard about the plot twist, I'm not going to tell you. No, no, no. No, no. There's a social dance night tonight at Crystal Bridges. Afro Fusion tonight from 630 to midnight. Saturday morning, get up, go to the Bella Vista Historical Museum, or go to the trails around the Cooper Chapel in Bella Vista. They're going to be doing a thing called Play Music on the Porch. It's an international thing, and musicians will be playing until about 1030 just for fun. There's also BW Weekend this weekend in Eureka Springs, and the parade is at 3 o'clock tomorrow. And then on Sunday, it's Squirrel Jam, Jam Station Night at 5 o'clock at Ozark Folkways in Winslow, and it's free.
All right. You can read about all of this and so much more, you know, all through the weekend in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. See you next week. Next June, about 400 cyclists will cross the top tier of Arkansas, covering 336 miles of gravel. The inaugural Arkansas Graveler will be a six-day tour, not a race, starting in Fayetteville and ending in Jonesboro. Along the way, there will be overnight stops in Oark, Jasper, Marshall, Mountain View, and Cave City. Scotty Lechuga, a professional cyclist and cycling coach, is the event director for the Arkansas Graveler. She says putting together a route that will cross 10 counties was a labor of love. You know, it's a lot of route recon, a lot of driving roads and getting dead ends and running into private property and rerouting. And But in all of that, there's so much adventure to this route. It's going to be really an exploratory touring experience for people that ride and love to ride gravel. Um, it's hard. The route is difficult, and there's no way around that. Just riding through the Ozarks here, it's it's hard terrain, and so people are going to have a challenge, definitely, but they're also going to be richly rewarded at the finish line every day. That's because, she says, each of the overnight communities will be putting their own spin on hospitality, food, drink, and music with Ozark flair. Mike Spivey, the executive director of the Ozark Foundation, says he thinks the Arkansas Graveler will become a legacy event for the state. Every year, the route will change. So this year, the inaugural route goes from Fayetteville to Jonesboro. Next year, it could go from Hot Springs to Helena, or from Little Rock to Bentonville, or other, other routes that we may put together. The idea is to move it around, keep it fresh, get the community engagement, and just create this amazing experience that's very unique to Arkansas. Spivey says he thinks the participants of the first Graveler will be a mix of locals and visitors. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders says the cycling tour will give every rider a chance to see parts of Arkansas they may not be familiar with. The fact that they will go from our two biggest universities literally covering our entire state from one corner to the next will give us the opportunity not only to highlight the sport and what we have here, but also the commitment that people have and the opportunity that we have in this space. Event director Scotty Luchuga says the overnight stops are not just a chance for riders to rest, but also a chance for smaller Ozark towns to celebrate. They have been nothing but welcoming. They are even doing things like uh, Cave City has a group of watermelon growers that are going to start early to have a batch just for our event. And it's that kind of stuff that's going to really showcase the hospitality of Arkansas and um, going to make a huge difference for our participants. She says the hauling of riders' equipment will be shuttled from one overnight spot to the next. It'll be fully supported. If someone has a, a mechanical or an accident or just doesn't feel good, we'll be there to pick them up and take them to the finish. So it'll be extremely well supported, safe ride, um, not a race, so people won't be, you know, gunning for first place or anything like that. It'll be very much a tour. The Arkansas Graveler begins next June 23rd in Fayetteville on the campus of the University of Arkansas and will conclude June 29th in Jonesboro on the Arkansas State campus. The executive director of Experience Fayetteville, Molly Ron, says she thinks the event will allow all of the host cities an unusual opportunity 
to work together. Doing tourism for Fayetteville, as you might imagine, we're a little bit limited in scope when it comes to getting to branch out and work with other cities. But as a native Arkansan, I personally and Brandon on my team, we really hope so. We hope it'll build um, build those relationships in those other communities that aren't necessarily always um, included in our conversations. Registration for the Arkansas Graveler opens January 1st. Capacity capped at 400 riders. They'll push off in just under 10 months. Mike Spivey with the Ozark Foundation offers a bit of advice if you're thinking about doing it. Start riding your bike <laughs> in the mountains. <laughs> um, this, this ride is approachable. It's that first part of it is going to be tough, but there's not a day that's over, I think, 55 miles. Um, and there's a good mix of hard surface and gravel. Um, there are going to be some climbs. But a person who's interested in this, uh, who may be an infrequent cyclist, they need to get on their bike and just put in the miles. And the good news, next year's tour ends in the flat delta. Just think, it's all downhill from Cave City. You can find out more at ArkansasGraveler.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Black-owned NWA presents the Black-owned Northwest Arkansas Business Expo, Saturday, August 26th from 5 to 9 p.m. at the Fayetteville Town Center. Guests are invited to come learn about and shop with black business owners from across the region. The event includes a 50 years of hip-hop celebration and more. Details available at blackownednwa.org or eventbrite.com. Historic Cane Hill presents the Cane Hill Harvest Festival Saturday, September 16th, just 20 miles south of Fayetteville. This day of community traditions and family activities kicks off with an Ozark Country breakfast and features live music, crafts, and demonstrations. Guests can also enjoy the Arts and Eats Market, Kids Zone, and more. Full schedule and tickets at historiccanehillar.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Santa Claus chair is filled. And that's because I am sitting in it. And that is Ryan Versi, who is our underwriting director at KUAF and King of the Giveaways. What are we giving away this time? Man, so the King of the Giveaways, <laughs> you know, I don't feel like I'm kind of getting getting big here, you know, <laughs> as King of the Giveaways and the Santa Claus chair. Yes. Some people whose names I'm going to call mm-hmm. are going to be very excited about going out to Prior, Oklahoma on September 1st through the 3rd. Because that is... Rocklahoma. If you're curious... You're talking about bands like Godsmack and Limp Bizkit and Bush, Pantera. Wasn't Pantera just at the amp? I think so. Yeah. Rob Zombie. Buck Cherry. Buck Cherry. Yeah. So it's loud. It's loud. It's Rocklahoma. It is going to be quite the festival. Um, I've heard great things about it. I don't think I'll be able to make it this time around, but I heard it's an awesome time. So, Well, who who are we going to make happy? All right. So the very first person who's going to have a huge smile on their face, hopefully they're hearing this right now, hearing it live. Um, her name, Sierra Lattisaw. This is a, for a pair of week of passes. Okay. General admission passes. All right. So basically, um, come grab these little, they're the wristband kind. Gotcha. So it's like you won't be able to, un, like, you got to be careful because if you tighten it too much, you're going to be uncomfortable. And then you can't <laughs> untighten it. You can't loosen it. You can't take it off because then you get kicked out. Right. So, yeah, you got to be careful with those. But you can't lose it either. So There you go. Yeah. All right. And the next person with a super tight wristband will be Zach Howell, followed by Emily Lacey. Let's uh, keep counting because there's Leanne Pedigo. 
And last but not least, the women are taking this one. That's Angela Arnett. You'll be in touch with them? Yes, I will send an email inviting them to the station. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot email you these wristbands. Sure. Like sure. I normally would if it was anything digital, else. Digital, right. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, come up. You know, come say hi. Come yeah. to the station. Come say hi. Um, if you need to, we can possibly make another arrangement. But, uh, yeah, we're right here at Nine South School. But we still have tickets for Format to give away soon, right? We do. That's going to be coming okay. up real soon. All right. Fine. And that is, if you are interested in the Format giveaway, follow us on social media. Go okay. to our Instagram page. KUAF underscore radio. All right. Brian Versi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a great weekend. Monday on Ozarks at Large, we take a trip to the Washington County Fairgrounds to meet Doris Cassidy. My mother-in-law was on the board, and I used to complain that the flower arrangements were tacky. And I said to her, you know, I could do better than that. And she finally said to me, I guess she got tired of listening to me. She said, if you could do better, why don't you do it? Why don't you enter and do better? So I entered flower arrangements, and I did better than what they were doing. A master gardener, a former president of the county fair, and a woman who's not afraid to tell you she's good at what she does. That's on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon and 7 p.m. On the next episode of the Beloved Community Podcast, from the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council and KUAF. Chris and Lindsay sit down with a man well-known in Fayetteville as an educator, leader, friend, mentor, and advocate, Dr. John Colbert. You know, we did the inclusion yes. way back yes. <laughs> when I was a little teacher. Before inclusion even became you know, mandatory, yes. I yes. started that at Base Elementary. Yes. Because again, I wanted what was best for all students and I know my students could succeed with that additional help that I knew that I could provide and, and my fellow teachers could provide. Reflecting on a life of service with Dr. John Colbert on the next episode of The Beloved Community. You can listen for free at KUAF.com or subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Denning. Contributors today included Michael Tilley, Pete Hartman, and Becca Martin-Brown. Additional reporting today provided by Jack Travis. And it's always fun to have Ryan Versey, our underwriting director, be part of the show. By the way, he says the football Razorbacks will go 11-2 with a bowl victory this year. You heard it here first. Today's show constructed inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I'll be with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being here. KUAF is supported by Sunrise Guitars. Sunrise Guitars is liquidating inventory, including guitars, amps, and other items storewide. Sunrise Guitars is located at 2781 North College Avenue in Fayetteville or at sunriseguitars.com. The Momentary in Bentonville invites guests to the world premiere of Die No Die Arkansas by artist Maddie Davis. Presented nightly from August 4th through the 6th, each evening features six artists performing dynamic dances along intersecting routes throughout the Momentary grounds. Tickets on sale now at themomentary.org.